Pushkin. You can find inspiring stories almost anywhere. For instance, check out the co-founders of Girls Who Do Interiors. This Miami-based design company was started by three friends when they were still in school. And right from the start, they turned to Chase for Business for everything from banking and payment acceptance to credit cards. And they handle them all in one place with the Chase mobile app. It's so important to have that kind of help when you're just starting out. Learn more at chaseforbusiness.com. Make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A. member FDIC. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. Tractor Supply trusts 5G solutions from T-Mobile. Together, they're connecting over 2,200 stores with 5G business internet and powering AI so team members can match shoppers with the products they need faster. This is enriching customer experience. This is Tractor Supply with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. Last spring, my friend Stephanie and I had a chance to travel to Rome as part of her research trip. And as usual when I travel, we stayed at an amazing Airbnb. It was the perfect spot to check out the sights and just relax. But what was happening to my house while I was away? Did you know that while you're away, your home could be an Airbnb? Most people don't think about their space as an Airbnb, but hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey everyone, this week's special episode of Talk Easy is supported by Mubi, a curated online cinema streaming a selection of exceptional films from around the globe. Each day, Mubi introduces a new hand-picked gem, and you have one month to watch it. Whether it's a timeless classic, a brand new festival favorite, or a critically acclaimed masterpiece, there's always a perfectly curated selection of films to discover. Try it free for 30 days at Mubi.com slash TalkEasy. Welcome to the show. This is Talk Easy. I'm Sam Fragoso, and uh, this is a special episode of the podcast. For those who have not listened before, I assure you what you're about to hear is not exactly what happened on a week-to-week basis. Usually we have one guest come on, and then that guest and I talk about anything and everything, whatever they want to talk about. But Corey and I were going back and forth and trying to figure out how to end this year on a note that was somewhat vaguely positive. I'm not sure we exactly succeeded, but in trying to do so, we called up a bunch of people who came on the podcast throughout this year, um, some of whom we got on the phone, some of whom just left voicemails, and we asked each of them to talk about a piece of art or pieces of art that inspired them or that they fell in love with or just that kept them going in 2016. On either side of the aisle, I imagine... The last couple months have been 
confusing. I think that's a fair adjective. Um, some may describe it as scary. Some may say they're fearful. Some may be uncertain how we continue onward in 2017. I certainly don't have the answers to it, and I'm not sure anyone we called up on the phone has the exact answers for how that works. But we talked, and it was really great to catch up with a bunch of people on the holiday and have them talk about the things that made them happy this year. It's hard sometimes when you're feeling despondent, um, or maybe this is just me, but it's hard to feel hopeful when so much is not hopeful, when so much feels sad and frustrating and scary. But we tried our best throughout all these calls to remain positive. I don't know how well we succeeded. I think that's going to be for you guys to judge. I'll say more in the outro, but uh, thank you so much for listening to the show. If you've been listening, and, and or even if this is the first time or you've just started listening, thank you for doing that. And I hope your holidays are going well. We're going to start off with a call from our friend Matt Zollersites, who uh, wrote the Oliver Stone Experience this year, the TV collection book, which you should buy. He's also the editor-in-chief of RogerEber.com. When I called him, he was out last-minute shopping, as many of us, I imagine, were. And it was a fun talk about TV and film and his children. So, yeah, I hope you enjoy this talk with Matt and the other folks that came on. And uh, I'll say some more later. Okay, here's Matt Sides. Hello? Hey. Hey, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. How's the uh, Christmas shopping going? It's it's really, really uh, intense because it's Manhattan at Christmas time and there's tourists everywhere and there's people doing last-minute shopping. Hmm. And so it's an it's an obstacle course. There's by you have to you you got to be super alert. You mean by there's people? You mean you're doing last minute shopping, right? No, not me. Heavens, no. I'm I'm above that sort of thing. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. No, I'm buying some last minute stuff. I I, I just uh, I have a lot of family members staying with me for Christmas, and many of them are children. So, well, uh, mm. speaking of presents in the most uh, forced segue ever. Uh, yes. art, art this year. There, there were some good things um, in a year that was historically, I think, not great for most people. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a nice way of putting it. I'm trying to. I'm trying to be diplomatic. Uh, yeah. So what, what happened this year in art that you discovered or, or something that moved you that, you that you fell in love with? There was a lot of stuff. There was a lot of stuff. I... I, I you know, I really don't like to say that, you know, such and such a year was a good year for movies or a good year for television or right. a bad year, um, because I just don't think there's any objective way to measure that. And I think what it means when people say it is, I saw a lot of stuff I liked this year or I didn't see a lot of stuff that I liked. I think that's all it means, because there's like literally thousands of films released every year and like tens of thousands of hours of television. And how can you possibly say it was a bad year unless you saw all of it? And no one could see all of it. Every year can so be kind of good a, depending on how much you take in. Every year. And like when I'm in a particularly snarky mood, when I hear people say, oh, this was a bad year for movies, it's like what you mean is you didn't, you didn't see as many movies as you should have. Yeah. But I mean, what, you know, what, I mean, was there something in television especially since you've been writing about it, that you were like, oh, man, this is really, this feels game-changing and revolutionary. Well, I will say that this was, this was without a doubt, an extraordinary year for, tel for scripted television. 
in terms of quality. And I've been writing about television uh, for over 20 years, and I've been watching television since I was a little kid. And this is by far the best, the best year I've ever seen for comedies and sitcoms. Like, nothing else has even really comes close. Hmm. Just the sheer number of things that were out there that were worth seeing and having an opinion on, even if you didn't like it, they were worth seeing, was phenomenal. And I sat down to make my top ten list, and my preliminary top ten list had like 37 titles on it, and I had barely even started. Wow. And, uh, and the list was so, there were so many good things that, that, you know, I could probably struggle to remember exactly what I put on my top 10 list, but I might, I might accidentally substitute some other things that almost made the cut because like, depending on what week you ask me, my list is going to be different, but which, I love Which is uh, great, by the way. I thought the, it is great. It is great. And, and, uh, the people versus OJ Simpson, mm-hmm. uh, and OJ made in America and, uh, the, the television series version of the girlfriend experience which was completely different from the movie uh wow that was great it was and, incredible um, and atlanta the uh, donald glover's series atlanta was you know every you can't throw a rock at television without hitting a sitcom that wants to be louis mm-hmm. i mean there's like there's like probably <laughs> a dozen tv shows on the air right now that on some level want to be louis like they're taking the lessons of louis it's like i could do that and i'll do my own thing with louis Right, but of all the sitcoms that I think would not exist without Louis, Atlanta is the one that I think surpassed it. Like in its first season, I think I think the first season of Atlanta, almost every episode of that thing is better than all but the best episodes of Louis. And its time slot partner, Better Things, which is by Pamela Adlin, who was a, a co-star and co-producer and co-writer on Louis, was also outstanding in mm. its in its first year. Um, I thought The Americans had its best year ever. Um, Better Call Saul, I thought was phenomenal. Um, I thought uh, Queen Sugar, Ava DuVernay's series was terrific. Um, and then there were a lot of like a lot of just regular old kind of traditional three camera sitcoms I thought were very good this year. I thought Blackish was phenomenal. Um, the Carmichael Show, um, The Goldbergs, I love that show. Like that's a show that's almost never makes anybody's top 10 list because it's, it doesn't have anything on its mind, but being silly and making you laugh and being touching. And I, every episode I, I, I is I love that you love same. that show. <laughs> it's funny. It's funny as shit, man. It's really, really a funny show. And, and you know, they, it's one of those shows that just like, you know, it's a classical, it's a repository of all the classical virtues of, of three camera I mean, it's a one-camera show, but it's really like rooted in the three-camera sort of humor tradition. Everything's very broad, hmm. you know. It's like it's almost like you're watching a little play, and and uh, it's it's great. And every and they almost make a fetish of the fact that like you could say like, well, every episode's the same. It's like yeah, every episode is the same, right down to the structure. <laughs> and they even end with a heartwarming music montage set to some '80s song that probably would have scored a heartbreaking music montage in a movie in the '80s. You know, and and I, they love it, and they're wink, they're winking at you as they do it. <laughs> I have I, I think there's a reason for this that you love it especially, and this is something to consider versus maybe maybe most TV critics or film critics. Yeah, is that you're a dad? Well, that's possible, but I also love. Well, you know, okay, there's different ways to be a parent and love shows about parenting. Mm-hmm. I love the Goldbergs because it captures all of the positive feelings, like the best case scenario of being a parent. <laughs> But I love better things because the uh, uh, better things is the dark side. Mm. 
you know, she loves her kids on that show. She really loves her kids. She would like give her life for her kids without hesitation. But there are also many points during the show where it looks like she would also like to strangle them. Yeah. Oh, that, you know, like there's like the, the, the sort of the resentment of the responsibility of having kids is also the subject of better things. And I can't think of another sitcom that, that went there so fearlessly as that show. Hmm. It's, it's great. Um, yeah, I mean, there, there was just so much good stuff. I mean, it was such a good year that things, things like uh, Mr. Robot and, and Westworld, which did not make my top 10 or probably even my top 20, if this were 10 years ago and shows of that level of ambition were on the air, I think I probably would have put them, put them on the top 10 list. Mm. You know, whatever misgivings I had about them, because they were just so, they were swinging for the fences in their own way. Um, and then movies, I don't even know where to begin with the movies. I saw so many great movies this year. Uh, Tony Erdman was great. Um, fences, I thought, was terrific. I really hope that people give fences its due. I think there's a tendency among my colleagues to write off things like that as being quote unquote Oscar bait. Hmm. Um, and I've already seen some, some people complaining that it's not sufficiently cinematic. And I really have no idea what that means. Cause I thought it's one of the greatest adaptations of a play that I've ever seen for the movies. And it's, and if you see it on a big screen as I did, Oh boy, is it cinematic? Like they've really split the difference between being in a in a big Broadway theater, seeing a play and watching a movie. Uh, number two on your list, you had uh, Patterson as number two. Patterson was fantastic. I, I I was completely unprepared for how much I loved that movie, and and I started laughing like you know me. I I, I never laugh uh, like derisively. I always laugh because I'm delighted by something, mm-hmm. and it's not always because something is funny. It's because like a, a, there's an appropriate choice or a surprising choice that's been made. And I was laughing my ass off all through Patterson because um, they kept doing things that just seemed so completely counterintuitive. Like you're not (laughs) supposed to make movies like that where everybody's nice to each other and everybody's, you know, uh, everybody is basically decent at heart. And when the chips are down, they come through and it almost feels like it's, I thought it was going to be like a dystopic land that it was set in. Like, I was convinced at yeah. one point it was going to take a turn because it was so eerily kind. Yes, I kept thinking that, too. And also, there were many points in the movie where a lot of independent films that you would watch that had this setting and this particular set of characters would take a turn for the dark mm. at some point. Like, it's like he's going to hit somebody with his bus or somebody's going to have a heart attack on his bus or his bus is going to catch on fire or his girlfriend's going to get, you know, mugged or, you know, some kind of, like, indie film thing would right. happen you know or it's, it's going to turn out she's a heroin addict you know like <laughs> like like decades of really terrible american independent films have conditioned me to expect to you know the other shoe to drop at some point and it never did and there's a point where he's driving his bus and te- there's a technical malfunction on the bus and it's like okay here it comes he's going to go off a bridge and everybody's going to die and it's like no he pulls over he calls it in he tells everybody another bus will be along in about nine minutes and like that's it it's it's funny I, I just love that he's, you know, this is a, this is a movie. Basically, it's about a guy who's essentially happy. That, yeah, the, 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 it's, it's, it, in the absence of like the the anger or the outburst or some tragedy, it's just poetry. Like they just keep, keep yeah. going back to poetry, and it's like, man, life could be pretty nice. It can be pretty nice, and I also appreciated the fact that it's a story about a guy who's supposed to be talented at whatever art he practices, and then you see, a, you, you, they give you examples of your of his work. Mm. And it's actually good. 
Yeah. It's actually good. You know, think about how many times you've seen a movie where it's like, he's the greatest saxophone player of our time, and then you hear him play, and you're like, eh, he's all right. <laughs> you know, that was that. this was some quality poetry. This was really good. And I was, you know, I was watching it with a couple of friends of mine who are, who are you know, good poets themselves. They were like, dude, this is good poetry. I, I, I'll ask you this because you got to go, and, and I have to go do more Christmas shopping. Um, the year is coming to an end. I don't know. You're not. You're. You're not a particularly nostalgic person. But I. I. I want to ask you. How are you feeling about the end of this year and the start of a new year and and everything that has happened in the last twelve months in your life? Well, I had a very good year professionally. Um, I did a lot of work that I was proud of. I had two books come out, um, TV, the book and the Oliver Stone experience. And I think in different ways, I think they're about as good as they could be, mm-hmm. you know, like I don't, I, I, I can see how I could have done both of them differently, but not necessarily better, which is, which is a sign that, you know, um, I should be satisfied with the result. Um, and I'm starting work on my second feature film. I haven't done one in 10 years and this one's going to be really, really fun. It's a science fiction movie with puppets. And, um, uh, so that's all great. Um, I don't think the country did so well. I mean, 27% of the population voted for Donald Trump and another 28% voted for Hillary Clinton and the electoral college worked out in favor of Trump, which sucks. And then there's 48, something like how, whatever that percentage is uh, that's left over, uh, of the population, um, didn't vote. Hmm. They didn't vote at all, and and, uh, who knows how things would have gone if those people had voted. And now we got to live with the consequences here. And uh, things are pretty dude. Things are pretty dire, man. They're pretty dire. I got to say. And the only, I guess it's I don't know if it's a silver lining or not, but I've been I have a lot of friends overseas, and almost all of them have lived under circumstances similar to the ones that we're about to go into with an authoritarian who has no respect for law or tradition being in charge of the country. And, uh, it's not good. You know, you survive it. Some, you know, most people survive it. There may be some casualties, but my friends in, you know, Brazil and, uh, the Philippines and Chile are, going like, all right, I'm really sorry that you have to find out what this is like, but let me know if you need any advice. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and I'm, and I don't have a whole lot of patience for people who say, well, the next four years are going to be great for the arts because, you know, a lot of great art has been made, um, under in during dark times. It's like, yeah, but if you kind of do your research on that, you find out that most of the art that was made during dark times was made by people who had escaped you know, like you don't, you know, people who were living during the siege of Aleppo weren't, weren't cranking out beautiful paintings and working on their novel. They were too busy trying not to die. Right. You know, it's only in, it's only with tranquility and some kind of comfort that you can collect your thoughts enough as an artist to, to make any kind of a coherent statement. Um, so, you know, I think people who are comfortable might make some interesting art, but I think the most interesting art about this period isn't going to appear for eight to 12 years. And, uh, in the, in the meantime, I just hope that, uh, I hope that people don't get too used to this. Here's the one thing I'll say is that, um, we're going to keep at it, I think. And, uh, we're not going to remain docile and, and that's, that's what we have to do. And, and we're going to continue. I mean, especially you, you know, you're going to continue working and, doing the best you can 
Yeah, well, that's certainly true. You know, up to the point where, uh, up to the point where it becomes impossible, and hopefully we won't reach that point. But uh, you know, I just, I just want uh, anybody listening to this to be aware of how easy it is to get used to things that you never would have thought you could tolerate. You know, the human race has an infinite capacity to adapt and tell themselves that things are normal when, in fact, they're, you know, unacceptable. And I hope we don't get to that point. I mean, that's a kind of a bleak note. That's kind of a bleak note to end on. But It, it is a bleak note to end on. But you know what, Matt? It's okay because uh, it's a good reminder. And um, I, I appreciate you doing this. And I will uh, talk to you next year. Take care, Sam. So long, Bye. Matt. Bye-bye. Hello, Sam. Bill and Turner here. Hey. We are here to talk about some things that brought us joy in 2016. Big year. Uh, off the top of my head, I'd say um, the uh, NBA dunk contest brought me a lot of joy. Blood Orange album gave me a lot of joy. Yeah, Blood Orange, meeting some of the folks uh, doing Contemporary Color, new music test. That was uh, pretty remarkable. This year we shot a film about James Baldwin, had the good fortune of that, and uh, in doing research for that, we got much more familiar with his work, which helped... Uh, helped cope with current events, both positive and negative, and great voice from another generation, but uh, very pertinent to now. Let's talk about Floyd. Let's talk about Floyd. I think Floyd speaks to uh, what we're trying to pull off right now, and specifically Dusty and Sweets McGee, definitely. Aloha, Bobby and Rose, um, two films from the 70s that are somewhere in between uh, fact and fiction, uh, both set in L.A., and really capture the light of that time. Um, just loose. They're very loose. They're imperfect films, um, but there is something going on in, in, in both of those films that is... They're kind of perfectly imperfect in terms of uh, tone. Yeah, they're alive. They're alive. You feel you feel like you're in LA at that time, and they really, yeah, they really, really inspired us this year uh, going going into the project that we're uh, that we're venturing into at the moment. Um, I'd, I'd also say that, um, yeah, you're right on with Hail Caesar. Hail Caesar was certainly that. I mean, what I got out of it was just, uh, I mean, even though that's in line with some things that we'd had you know, had conversation about, it's still these vignettes that make up sense of place and uh just masterfully done i thought i thought that was an incredible film that was good it doesn't um i don't know didn't seem like it really struck a nerve but uh I, I, that might be the film that i watched most this year yeah fuck em. i mean that was awesome being able to use that as a device being able to use that studio system as a device to bounce around and just see these different uh set pieces of that era and also get behind that. Yeah, I thought that was so cool. So well done. Oh, started watching Atlanta. I know you're far ahead of that, uh, uh, far ahead with, uh, on me, but uh, everybody's been talking about that one. I, I'm, I'm, I'm on board, man. How many episodes are you? <laughs> Just the first couple. I think it's awesome. It is, it is so good. What the hell is going on there? It's so good. Uh, yeah, I was not prepared for that. Uh, I was not prepared for that voice. Uh, that is not what I was anticipating, and I am sucked in, man. Yeah, it's so it's so cinematic. It's it feel it feels big, you know. It uh, it's not what I was expecting either, but I I I can't wait to rewatch it. Those characters are so vivid and fun and complex 
It's uh, and who's who's Paperboy's sidekick? <laughs> oh my god, man! What is that dude's name? Um, yeah, I just hey I, man, can I measure your tree? <laughs> <laughs> that, that was like Not that right was now. that was the best. <laughs> that was easily the best. Uh, and I I can't speak. I, I don't have a whole lot of uh, knowledge of uh, what was on the tube this year, but uh, that was one thing I sat down and watched. And, that was pretty. Boss. Oh my god. I could talk about that for days, but uh, I imagine that's probably way up there on everybody's list. I'm sure we were, we were Sarah and I were coming off a much more uh, um, serious-toned viewing uh, of Westworld, which I don't think you've seen. I tried, tried to watch one episode, and just I don't think it was quite my thing. So it, it, I read all those Michael Crichton books when we were kids, and it's, it's you know... It was, this, it was the film that Michael Crichton wrote and directed, and uh, but then became this series, and it has that thing that must be embedded in my child brain, which is uh, build wild institution, institution goes wrong, man questions self in the universe, and uh, I don't know, I dig it, man. <laughs> That's all his... All his uh, it's all the his... formula for all of them, but yeah. it's still, uh, I, like, uh, I like questioning, um, questioning self in the universe. Yeah. Um, there was this podcast, <laughs> uh, not to be too cheeky, but, uh, I think I have listened to every uh, episode of talk easy since we've been on it. And, uh, it's a fine, fine program, Sam, and you should be very proud of yourself. Um, I'm only saying this in the hopes that, uh, you'll have us on again. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It is, uh, you know, you, you get deep with folks and that's, uh, that's, uh, that is a rare, rare quality. I I, uh, I listen to it each week. It's good. Every once in a while, you ought to let people dig back. Appreciate you, Brad. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, there's some rambling stuff there, but um, thanks, buddy. And uh, we'll see you soon. Next up on the podcast is the actress Mackenzie Davis. She was in this really great Black Mirror episode. She's in the new Blade Runner film. And she's also in this great movie that came out this year called Always Shine. Um, which, if you have not seen it, should be on your year-end list. It's playing in select theaters around the country and should be available on Amazon Prime within the next couple months or so. We spoke a couple days ago. She's talking about this book she discovered when she was abroad, and it was the thing that kind of got her through 2016, as art sometimes has the power to do. So, hope you enjoy it. Here is Mackenzie Davis. So... Mackenzie, what uh, piece of art did you fall in love with this year? Well, I feel um, a little bit embarrassed saying this because I have talked to you about this and it sounds like I only read one book this year and just keep using it as conversational fodder. It's okay. But (laughs) I really, um, I read uh, uh, In the Dark Room by Susan Faludi, which um, I found when I was, I was in Budapest for two months working and I was feeling kind of lonely and I just couldn't. There's something about Budapest that was so beautiful that I just couldn't connect with it and I didn't understand why and I kept trying to figure out why I couldn't connect with it. So I went to this bookstore and bought a couple books by Hungarian authors and um and I knew Susan Faludi is an American author, but her father is Hungarian and it's uh it's a memoir about him coming out to her in his seventies that uh, or she that uh, was a trans woman and um, changed her name to Stephanie and um, 
she was a very absent father when Susan Faludi was growing up and then sort of wanted to reassert her identity in this new um, form to her. And uh, I don't know, the book was, it's really, really interesting. It's about uh, just identity and the, the different identities that we prioritize at different times in our life. I mean, her father's identity as um, a Jew, as a Hungarian, as a man, and then as a woman, and on all of these different um, selves that he or she uh, later on in her life um, identified as and, and when in our lives certain identities are more relevant to us than others. And it was a, mm-hmm. it was a really good lens to learn about Hungary and, and a whole history that I didn't know about. And I just loved it. And <laughs> that's, uh, that's the book I'm always talking about. <laughs> well, I, what's interesting is that it's now in my possession because um, yeah. for, for people listening, uh, Mackenzie thinks it apparently somewhat relates to my life. Um, so, well, I do way. because you were talking about your your parents and about like accepting the identities of your parents and and Susan Fuli's father was a really bad father when she was growing up, <laughs> oh like hyper masculine, <laughs> hyper masculine in this like adopted American male way, mm-hmm. really violent, like sort of terrorized her family and totally abandoned them, and then came back into her life as this different person not just in in her identity as a woman but as a, a totally different version of the person that she grew up with and she's so graceful and um i don't know sort of unbelievably accepting of some harder parts of her father's personality and i think i just i i don't know why i told you you should read it i think i just like the book was trying to find a way to manipulate everyone around me into thinking that it would be particularly relevant to their life you know what i i think it is so for the record because i know my dad's listening he uh mm-hmm. he, he was a, he's a very nice dad and i there was no beating mm-hmm. there was no any of that but um i think you're probably on to something about accepting parents for who they are but what i was going to ask you is did it feel like um the book seemed particularly timely for you this year like the conversation about transgender has especially been something people have been talking about and that that's why i'm most fascinated by the book um maybe less in the specifics of like a, a gender identity and more I mean, I really used it as a lens to learn about Hungary, to be honest. Mm. And in because Hungary has had so many shifting identities over the past, I don't know, I mean, hundreds of years, but especially in the last 150 years. Um, and it's been sort of shuffled about and its borders have been redrawn so many times and it, it's had to re-articulate its own national identity. And I'm very interested in how countries create an identity for themselves and sort of mythologize themselves, especially if that myth doesn't, um, it's sort of like a state <laughs> sponsored effort. Mm. Um, I mean, it, it really felt timely for me to be in Budapest and feeling sort of alienated and trying to understand this place a little bit more. Um, so yeah, but I'm, I, I, don't, I feel like you have a, a deeper question that I'm not answering. No, so you answered it. Um, you're talking about the shifting identity. The, I did one of these right before I called you, and um, uh, my friend Matt Matt Zoller sites. And um, oh, cool! Yeah, he's he's a really great guy. But we ended up just, and I wanted to pose this to you: is like, um, this you know, the prompt for this it was like, 
it's been a historically uh, not great year, I think, for most people. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. you're talking about hungry shifting identity. I think that very easily could apply to us. And I, I guess I'm wondering, how are you feeling about the end of this year, the start of the new one, and all that's happened to you in the last 12 months? Um, bad. <laughs> um, I don't know. I'm, I, 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 I do think that uh, I read this book when I was still absorbing news, I was in Europe and I was absorbing news about Trump and the election with the same sort of, it almost felt like gossip to me this year. Like I used to follow politics in a way that made me feel informed. And like, I was, you know, engaging in some system And this year. I felt really, uh, I don't know, like I was just had like an addiction to us weekly or something. Like I just couldn't stop reading it because it was so tawdry all the time. Right. And I read this book at that time, and then thinking about it now um, and thinking about Hungary's own history um, in relation to what is about to become a very tumultuous period of national identity for America, it has a, a, a much greater weight and it feels a lot scarier. Just how quickly things can get out of control, how quickly uh, like fascism can take hold by just like testing the borders of what people will accept over and over again. And they get a couple of yeses and then suddenly, I don't know, the whole country has agreed to <laughs> put um, Jews in a ghetto in the middle of the city. It's just a really, uh, it's sorry, that sounds extremely alarmist, but it also feels like we're, that we're in a phase right now where we're being tested um, for how much we'll allow for what's acceptable what's what like crosses our our personal barometers of, of ethics yeah matt was talking about this exact he and i don't think it's not like you're being alarmist he took it to this this exact same thing of how much mm -hmm. are we willing to accept and um how much are we saying this is okay and yeah the hardest thing has been and this has happened all year and i think was so instrumental in getting um, not getting Trump elected, but in things not sticking to him is just the sheer volume of like ethical um, atrocities that we were bearing witness to. Mm -hmm. That we couldn't lay, we couldn't hold on to something long enough to let it become like the end of his momentum or the end of anything. Right. And that was how it felt in the campaign that there was always something new to talk about. And it feels like that. Now, like with, with appointing his cabinet, with uh, his business interests, with everything that comes out is similarly so alarming. But instead of it not stopping his momentum as president, it's, not, it's like preventing us from, I don't know, really holding on to a single issue and getting behind it. And, and um, I don't know, he's not even president yet, Jesus. That's, that's the most terrifying thing, isn't it? Mm -hmm. I, I guess I am. It's funny, Matt and I arrived at the same place of, uh, we're both, we both have to go, and it's, we ended on a very sad note, and I'm trying to I know, but it's hard to do a wrap-up of 2016 and be like, well, I just can't wait until the dawn rises on January 1st, and we get to really dig our feet in again. It's just been hard. It's just all been really sad. I feel like I grew up a lot this year in ways that, uh, yeah, are very real. That's what I've heard from everyone 
um, that I've talked to and off the podcast on the podcast is like, yeah, every, everyone feels like they've aged like 10 years in terms of like mental, I don't know, sort of mental stability, but also, um, just a lot. I, like, I can't even imagine what was happening in March earlier this year. I don't, I don't know. I have no idea what was no. happening. No, it's still fun to watch. It was still fun to watch. Um, yeah, I feel like I, I aged like, uh, my worldview became really realistic in a way or, or dark maybe in a way that it never had before. And I, I feel like I, I was so naive before. Um, this is going to sound ridiculous and maybe overly sentimental, but I'm going to say it that the one thing that I've, that I felt throughout this year, <clears throat> the one thing that I felt throughout this year that has been nice um, I feel like I've met a lot of new people and I feel like I've made new friends, but also the new relationships have fueled me in like the absolute darkest of times that we've all been living in. Cause I, I always think, well, you know, at least I have good people around me and, uh, no, that, I don't think that's too sentimental. And that, you're, think, you know, that's, yeah. that's, that's you. I mean, I met you like two months ago, like three months. I mean, so I'm thankful for And we're that. already friends. You know, <laughs> same. It's a, I, I, yeah, I'm really happy to be friends too. Yeah. I think it's good to find things that we can be overly sentimental about because there's uh it's really easy to, to feel, um, uh, like everything is a catastrophe. It, yeah, that's true. Um, so I guess thank you for, for that. Thank um, you. Have a great, um, time home with your family and, uh, happy holidays. Thank you, Mackenzie. So long. Okay. Bye. My favorite thing this year, I guess artistic, is this book that my friend Porter gave me. Um, We were both at this art colony in New Hampshire, and when he was leaving, he gave me this book called A Field Guide to Getting Lost by Rebecca Solnit. And it was all, all, like, dog-eared, and, I mean, obviously he you know, really marked it up and he gave it to me because, you know, um, I was getting, I guess, a little bit where I couldn't think sometime. And, and I would then with the book, it sort of opened me up creatively and I would wake up in the morning and read a chapter and then I could more easily write. And then, um, and then I really wanted to keep the book. I thought probably the right spirit would be to give the book to somebody else, but I haven't really been able to do that. So, um, instead I bought a bunch of copies of the book and just gave it to a bunch of other artists I know and kind of passed it, passed it forward. Hey there, Sam. Hey, uh, talk easy. This is Max Linsky. Uh, and the piece of art that will stick with me from 2016, uh, is the album Farewell Starlight an exclamation point on the end it's by the band francis and the lights uh i should disclose i have like zero uh objectivity on this matter uh francis starlight is someone i've known for a long time and i got to know him through aaron lammer who is my partner on long form and who is in the band and who wrote many of the songs and the album's just uh i don't know it's special and it feels um, honest. I think it feels honest if you don't know them, but if you do know 
Francis and Aaron. Uh, it feels particularly honest. And I don't know. I listened to it a thousand times, maybe two thousand times. The best track is probably Friends, but uh, See Her Out is the first uh, song on the album. Also, uh, we'll stick with you. You know, the whole thing will stick with you. It'll, uh, it'll stick to your ribs and uh, certainly going to stick to mine. Hey everyone, putting a pause on this holiday special here for a second. If you notice, the last few episodes of this podcast have been supported by Mubi. For my money, even before they started supporting and sponsoring the show, it was the best place, and still is, to discover new films and to really expand your cinematic horizons. Especially for people like me, where uh, I, I don't really know like where to go. Like You see the IMDb list, you have your friends who recommend stuff, yes. But it's a lot easier when things are curated for you. And they have a great team over there. One thing that's playing right now, if you're trying to watch something that's not like It's a Wonderful Life or a Christmas story or sort of the traditional holiday fair, you could check out No Country for Old Men. When was the last time you watched that great, great film um, by the Coen brothers? It is uh, an incredible, profound admittedly very dark piece of work and and maybe it is fitting to cap off this year i don't know but it, it's streaming now on movie.com and re-watching it which i did about like a month and a half ago before they had it on there it's astonishing how well that film has held up as much as i remember the dog eat dog world of cormac mccarthy the 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 can or whatever the hell he's using as a weapon to kill someone the sort of sordid affairs that everyone is getting themselves into. There is a beautiful, unexpected poetry to that movie, as a lot of Coen Brothers films have. So if you have the free time over this holiday break, maybe check out No Country for Old Men. There's there's also a lot of other stuff playing, including Target, or maybe an 80s midnight double bill with Starstruck or Forbidden Zone. There's a lot going on at Mubi, and you can check it out for free for 30 days at Mubi.com slash TalkEasy. Now, here's a voicemail from Melanie Linsky. Um, my favorite piece of art from this year was the book Commonwealth by Anne Patchett. Um, this novel is one that I know I'm going to want to read again and again in my life. It's so perfect. Um, there <laughs> is a climactic emotional moment in it. For anyone who's read it, it's uh, near the end of the chapter at the Zen Center. And I cried so hard when I finished this one passage that I just was shaking and sobbing. I mean... This book moved me like I can't even explain. It's sprawling. Uh, I think it covers five decades in the life of this one extended family, but it's so intimate. You get to know these people incredibly well, um, and it's just its so perfectly written. My heart was broken when it ended, <laughs> and I also felt so full of life and so in love with this book and so in love with books. Um so yeah, this year wasn't all bad because of this perfect book. I really, really recommend it. Next up is our pal, Wesley Morris. He came on, I think it was episode four of the podcast back when we launched in April. 
He is the critic at large at the New York Times Magazine, a job they quite literally invented for him when he got there. A fact he doesn't like recognizing or, or talking about, but it is a, a significant one. He also used to write at the Boston Globe, where he won a Pulitzer Prize, and Grantland when that was still alive and thriving. In this quick conversation we had, we talked about the directors he felt were emerging this year in cinema, and the ones that he believes he thinks shape the future of where movies are going. So I hope you enjoy this quick talk with Wesley Morris. Hello. Hey. Hey. How are you, Wesley? Uh, I'm good. How are you? I'm, uh, I'm ready to go home. I'm ready to, to be with family, I think. Yeah. Who, who, oh, well, congratulations, because, <laughs> yeah, I don't know how that works. Ready? Uh, well, you know, I, 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 I like being cooked for and having food and, uh, you know. I, all right, I accept all of that. That all sounds fine. What, what are you doing? Where are you going? Uh, I am going to San Francisco. Oh, okay. For like three days, and then I'm going to deal with my family. Okay. So, so you're. I'm, I'm you're, more like in, I'm more like coming back to. Uh, they're going to be in my house when I get here, which is going to be interesting. Oh God, why are you why are you letting that happen? Um, listen, the alternative is to be here the whole time. <laughs> so. Because of that, I you, love my family. Listen, you flee. I love my family. The record states that, but you fl- you're fleeing to San Francisco, and then you're having your family stay at your house while you're not there, and then spending some time with them. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> it's totally fine. Um, nobody cares. Okay. Um, and they'll they'll be they'll you know I put a tree up. I'm gonna let them decorate it since I never have a tree. Oh wow! Uh, so my, I was given specific instructions about what it means to celebrate Christmas with my uh, two nieces and nephew. What does it mean? Uh, it means having a tree for for babies to put gifts under. Mm-hmm. So uh, that, that's the extent of it. <laughs> did you give? Did you get like gifts? Uh, oh yeah, there are gifts and everything. I, I you know I'm not crazy, but. Okay. The babies need gifts because they're not really babies. They're old enough to know that somebody didn't get them something for Christmas. Right. So that's that's one thing. Then the other thing is I kind of have gotten reasonably okay at giving gifts to children. Mm. Um, I don't get offended when the kids don't play with anything and there's no ego involved in their appreciation of it. They're children. Who cares? But every once in a while, you strike gold and the parents don't care and the kids like it. And, and um, they're as happy as they've ever been, which I think is the most exciting part. Not with my gifts, really, because they're you know the parents' gifts are always the best gifts. Frankly, I mean, at least in my in my experience with both giving gifts to children and receiving gifts from children, the if you, you get them, a gift from your parents, <laughs> are you giving them books? <laughs> Why is that a bad gift? I mean, it depends how old they are, but almost, it's almost never a good idea to give a kid a book unless they're very bookish. And, now, there are some things that you just uh, you don't do, like you don't give certain women kitchen appliances, you don't give certain kids books, you don't give certain men exercise equipment or like mm-hmm. workout gear. Mm-hmm. It's just like stuff you don't do. So, um, no, I did not give the children books this year. <laughs> oh, this year. Oh, so it's a thing I, I you learned, have done. I learned. Yeah, okay. You saw the sort of 
mild enthusiasm I had for the books. No, zero. When they're kids. What mild enthusiasm? They're like, what the fuck is this? I don't know. When you were given books as a kid, I bet you were kind of excited. Um, I never got books as a gift, oh, actually. Okay. I mean, cause I was always being given books in other capacities, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just I don't recall getting books for Christmas. I mean, we got – we didn't get a lot. I mean, I remember toys were like – you know, I mean like any kid. Like you want a toy. Yeah. That's what you that's what you most want. You want a toy. And then yeah. it's a bummer when the toys no longer seem uh they no longer work. And then your parents Where are you going? It. I'm going to uh Fresno. And okay. then a little bit I may go to San Francisco next week for a couple days and then uh going to Vegas for one day. <laughs> oh, interesting. Yeah. Mixing. What's Vegas for one day about? Friend is turning 21. And I think we just like the movie Swingers too much, and uh, so we're just gonna go and try it. I've never also, I've, I've never gone to Vegas over the age of twenty-one. Um, so, um, oh, that'll be interesting for you. Yeah. Or not? Uh, I like to get. I like to gamble. Kind of, so. oh, okay. Well, then never mind. You're you're doing the right thing then. Do Do you hate it? Uh, I'm actually. I've never had a. I've mm. never had the adult Vegas experience. To be honest with you. Oh, okay. Um, I've been told by many people who've been and love it, adult people, um, that it is fun and special. Funny that I've never heard a woman say that. Like, I've never heard a woman <laughs> come back and be like, I love, I loved, although that's not true. I think my friend Juliet was in Vegas. Mm-hmm. Um, I should ask her about that. But she's one of the few people. I also have a friend who grew up in Reno. Uh-huh. So, you know, one of my best friends is from there, and her relationship to Las Vegas is also different. <laughs> It should, it should be remembered, Wesley, that I'm only kind of an adult. So, um, you know, who, who knows about my enjoyment there? Um, well, let's see. I mean, you're enough of an adult to not get arrested for anything, anything right? <laughs> I mean, for being underage anyway. I mean, you can get arrested for all kinds of shit in Vegas. But... Yeah, that's a pretty low bar for adulthood. Just <laughs> you're, you're legally an adult. Yeah, I'm legally an adult. That's true. That's um, true. So let's... Do this. I got to get in a car. Okay, let's do it. Um, so, the prompt it wasn't really a prompt, but uh, something or someone you loved uh, in art this year, and you have a whole host of people. Um, I just the the I gave you a bunch of names, but I mean, really, it's just an idea um, that you know a lot of these people are young, and the people who aren't that young. Everybody on that on that list of people is 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 their careers are young. Mm-hmm. So um, you have Trey Schultz, and then so that's that's his first film or second film. His first his first feature. First feature, and then uh, Barry Jenkins. Yeah, and I'm not gonna remember everybody. I think Ezra Edelman. It's his first sort of well, it's not his first movie, but his career as a filmmaker is young. Mm-hmm. Um. Andrea, he made, he yeah, made yeah. OJ the people versus I mean he didn't make the people versus OJ Simpson. He made OJ made in America. Mm-hmm. Um which is so is that a, can we say definitively is that a movie? That's a movie. Okay, okay. It's a movie. <laughs> this is, this debate is nonsensical. This is like an academy debate. <laughs> this is none of my business whether like the, let the academy like fight this out. Like I it's a movie. 
it, it not only because it played in movie theaters and it's still, by the way, playing movie theaters because it's a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I don't see Gilmore Girls playing at the Metrograph and in, in, on the Lower East Side. I'm just saying. <laughs> um, and uh, Marin Ade, who made, um, did you see that movie? Tony Erdman? Yeah. I did. Yeah. Yeah, I did. Uh, I think she's incredible. She's incredible. Yeah, she's, um, she's incredible. Did, is that is that one of your favorites of the year? Yes, it's one of those. It's an acquired taste. Even as you watch it, it's not like it gets better the second time you. I mean, it does, but it also gets better the first time you watch it and you understand what this woman's rhythms are mm-hmm. and what this movie is about. Um, and it's just, I I love a director who is entirely comfortable with weirdness and not feeling like she has to do. Because you know the the, the things that are weird about this movie are in tension with the things that are utterly normal about it, with human relationships and emotion. And these two people are strange. Um, and I like watching weird behavior in movies. I like when the, I like when people are matching strangeness. Like one person's strange, and then the other person's like just as strange. It's kind of yeah. fast. it's an interesting dynamic. Well, in this movie. The daughter learns to be as strange as the father or discovers that she is as strange as the father. Right. Or accepts that she is. I don't know. It's unclear. Um, but I just really – I just think this is a special movie and that nobody – that very few people are going to like. But – I actually think – I, I think you're wrong. I think it's like – Maybe I, I, think, I hope I think, I'm wrong. I think it kind of has – not. I already ma- know people who hate it. So, oh, I oh mean, really? Can, not, yeah. That's the thing. I Well, I know no one who hates it, but then again, everyone who watches it is – somewhat in the cinephilia range right and it hasn't opened yet so that's another thing okay Nor- we'll normal see... people we'll see how they feel well civilian moviegoers i guess is maybe the better way to put it okay. uh, <laughs> <laughs> um but i don't know i'm curious i am curious to see how people respond to it i really like this movie a lot um also on this list you had andrea arnold mm-hmm. on here what are you sure about what? That, about her the, career being young or her movie being good? I, I guess both, but the second part especially. Uh, I really like American Honey. I really do. I think it – I mean it's got great – I love I love how she directs actors. Mm-hmm. Um, I love how she uses space in all her movies. Um, I think that the buttons that she pushes are can be – it can make you roll your eyes. There are things about Fish Tank that I didn't love, um, for instance, mostly because I felt like she was being very aggressive in her insistence that she had found a world that she could dramatize. But I also think that that relationship between that mother and that daughter is really good. I also think in this movie, there, I, I kind of like the way she uses this concept of of fraud and theft to to get at these other sort of emotional ideas about mm-hmm. um, real feeling and, and connection. Um, and I think Sasha Lane is, is just a really interesting and fun person to watch in a movie. And I, I also happen to feel that Shia LaBeouf is extremely. That's, I was going to ask you, how are you feeling about him these days? Uh, I've come around to, I think that, He's annoying. Um, you mean like to, his presence outside of movies? 
I think that his idea of himself annoys me. The idea that he is both a serious actor and a comment and a living commentary on serious actors. Mm-hmm. Um, he, I don't think that he can keep a, he can balance those things. And I think that you know, a person like him and James Franco and Joaquin Phoenix, I think those are three people who you never really know where inside or outside the quotation marks they are. Mm-hmm. And I don't always enjoy that, but I do when, when Shia LaBeouf is engaged with a part and he's got enough to do as he does in this movie, I think he can be really interesting. I think Ryan Gosling is another one of these people um, where it's, you don't know they're so they're both so committed and so disconnected from commitment at the same time that you don't know what to take seriously. I actually blame Brad Pitt for that strain of acting more than I do like a handful of other people. You think the roots are in Brad Pitt? I think Brad Pitt doesn't get enough credit for being somebody that people don't even know they're emulating, but his like his indifferent application of himself to movies is 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 a style and he makes like movie sort of look easy by also not necessarily seeming like he has any talent, which is not, you know, that's not the case now. <laughs> yeah, but, right. But there is something interesting about his relaxed, his, his occasionally, his frequently relaxed approach to being a movie star. I think Allied is a really good example of, of when that does not work. Hmm. Um, anyway, I really like Andrea Arnold, and I think that she's somebody, anytime she makes a movie, I want to see what it is. Um, I think I'm more interested in her being in this group of people than I am truly in love with American Honey, but I do really like it. Right. Um, so you think Gosling in La La Land, to talk about Giselle, he fits in that reign of, of actors who kind of give a shit but don't give a shit? I think he's over that now. I think he's giving a shit again. Okay. I think the problem is that he's now performing not giving a shit as opposed to performing the role of a person who should give a shit but doesn't i just I think he just i think he's just attracted to characters who are whose coolness comes off as indifference Mm. i always feel like he that's the thing i always feel like he's too cool for every role he's playing you mean you mean ryan gosling the the human being is too cool for the roles he's taken maybe yeah maybe that's it um, that's, that's a legitimate gripe with Ryan Gosling. I just think he's such a talented, he's so good at being Ryan Gosling that I, I think that it's hard for me to come up with an argument against this iteration of him. I think when he works with, um, Derek, uh, C in France, I think that they're, they're very bad together because he's indulging mm. that aspect of Ryan Gosling. Mm. Um, versus him working with someone like Damien Giselle or even in The Big Short, which is not a movie I liked at all. Um, I really liked him in that movie, mostly because he's acknowledging that he's kind of a slickster. Um, but Giselle's on Damien Giselle's on this list because, I mean, not it's it's just like this is the is a generation of act of, of directors that I think are really exciting and interesting. And I think Damien Chazelle is really interesting because he is both making an old type of movie in a, in a sort of a deliberately old, in a a deliberately old fashioned sort of way that is also sort of relentlessly new at the same time. 
Um, these also are weirdly personal movies where he's trying to work something out. And I don't ever think he, I don't know if he's ever, I mean, I don't know if he's ever really going to work it out. He's a young guy. Um, he's really, he's like 32, I think something like is that. He, is he that old? I thought he was younger than that. Oh, he, oh he, okay. he may be 29, 29 to 32. I think he's in that range. He's definitely in that range. Um, I thought he was even younger than 29 though. Okay. Well, I do think he's just extremely talented, and this guy, I don't know where he starts in his creative process, but he really knows how to end a movie. He does. I think that's the most impressive thing. I'm always interested in filmmakers who know how to begin and end movies, and I think he knows how to Nobody do Nobody does. Them. Very few people do. It's hard. It's, it's, it's really hard. So you bought into La La Land and the whole, I feel like that's a movie. When I saw that, I'm like, oh, people are going to love this. Like, the m- m- civilian, what did you call him? Civilian, civilian moviegoers. Civilian I mean, moviegoers, yeah. We're not civilian moviegoers. We see too many movies to be civilian moviegoers. Um, and have to, like, you know, we're paid to do it. Um, I, I really like... Uh, I like most of this movie. Like I said, the things that he's trying to work out, I'm not, I don't, I'm not into. Um, I mean, I'm not, not into them. I just don't feel like he knows what he wants to say about art and creation. Hmm. But I also like how, I mean, the same was true in Whiplash, which is a movie, you know, which is a movie about, it's not about jazz so much as it is about. It's a sadistic relationship as well. Right. Right. Of creation and, 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 and artistry, I think is more what it is. Um, I don't know. I, I, I like, what a pragmatist he he is in, in like the the idea that he set this set this movie in a in a sort of fantastical realm which is this sort of french musical mm-hmm. and is committed to these ideas of like what it is to grow up and be an adult and make adult choices and not all of those choices are fun or romantic or sexy they're hard and they're boring and they can lead to disappointment and dissatisfaction and disillusionment. And that's a really, that's a, I mean, I just can't imagine Spielberg making a movie, making a movie musical that also is about like just adult emotionalism. Yeah. I don't, I don't see that happening where Uh, the production isn't really the star of the movie for Damien Chazelle. It really is these two people. There's something to it. I mean, he also focuses like that on Whiplash, I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. On the whole, good year for movies? It's You know what's been strange? And tell me if you feel this, because I know you got to go. Do you feel like, I since our post uh, sort of Trump world we're living in, it has been really hard at this year end to like, this is the time when I generally watch a lot of movies. And I've had a hard time focusing on the stuff that has been coming out. Oh, interesting. You know who I would add to this list to answer your question? Hmm. Uh, Jeremy Saulnier. Is, uh, that's how we say his name. The guy who made Green Room and uh, Blue 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 right. uh, Blue Ruin. Yeah. Blue Ruin, yeah. I think that guy is in this class of people. I mean, he's not. I think his interest as a filmmaker is going to keep him on the in the quote genre arena unquote. Um, but he's as good as everybody else in this list, especially in his, in his sort of embrace of, of, 
of the horror sort of torture genre. Mm. Um, and I think that a movie like like Green Room is just uh, it knew, <laughs> you know, it knew it it even if you. I also think this is true of Deadpool at the other end of the spectrum. But I mean, you know, I feel like they're like that. That guy knows he knows other parts of this country that mm-hmm. a lot of filmmakers don't, like a lot of coastal. Um, he was a Washington guy. I think he's from Portland, or he's from he's from some strain or Seattle, maybe some north. Oh, is he from Seattle? I okay. think it's Northwest. Yeah. I mean, his sensibility is just unlike many other. I mean, that's what's great about this whole list, right? Like, all of these sensibilities are completely unique to each other. I mean, Marin Ade is not American at all, right? Um, and it's just it's just great watching all these like ideas about being alive come together in these in these people's movies um but i don't know it's a bad year for movies generally but you you anytime you are forced to sit down and like make a list of things you really liked um you can tell yourself a different story but it was very easy to come up with a list of 15 movies this year and not feel like you had shortchanged anybody mm-hmm um i think it was a much more interesting year for nonfiction filmmaking and filmmakers than it was for the opposite yeah i think that's true i think that's true but like i said i mean i'm you asked me to do this and i was like well what is interesting to me i think that you you have a class of about you know anywhere from seven to ten filmmakers who are really exciting and probably won't be co-opted by the larger system i I mean and i think damien chazelle is a really good example of somebody who can make a like a hollywoodish movie that still feels true to him yeah, um, I, I mean, I, still I, I hope they don't get co-opted. I think that's the hope for everyone here. I don't think anybody. I don't think any. I mean, <laughs> who's gonna? What's Andrea Arnold gonna gonna get? Like, how's she gonna sell out? You know, how's Marin Ade gonna sell out? In a way, I'd be interested in all of them. What their version of selling out would look like? Well, I that's. A, I mean, that's a really. I think that is a really good question. Yeah, I would be. I'd be. I think we should start asking these people, like ask Barry Jenkins, what Barry Jenkins, what's your idea of selling out? <laughs> like, what is a movie that you just, what is a movie that you would consider making, but probably wouldn't because it would make you feel like you had compromised yourself in some way. <laughs> For Ezra, it would be like making a two hour documentary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know. It'd be really interesting to, to, to see what that was. Anyway, I got to go because yeah. my car is here. Okay, Wesley. Uh, um, thank you so much for doing this. I hope you have a, a good Christmas. Thank you. I hope you have a good Christmas. Enjoy Fresno. Uh, I will. I'll see you in the new year. Okay. So long. Bye. Hey, it's Alyssa Wilkinson from Vox.com. Um, so one thing that made me really, really happy this year was Donald Glover's show Atlanta, which I know made a lot of people really happy. Uh, but I just finished the finale yesterday, uh, so I'm a bit behind people. But I think I just love the episodic nature of it. I love how it goes nowhere that I'm expecting Um, I loved every character on it. They made me happy when I saw them. Uh, And I just think that um, of all of the TV shows that I saw this year, it was the one that felt the most innovative and the funniest. 
uh, and like it actually had something to say um, without sacrificing entertainment value or its own principles. So I'm very pleased with it. I can't wait to see another season of it. And I'm really glad that it happened this year. Happy holidays. The last person we called for this Christmas holiday special that we're doing here is the actress uh, Zasi Beats. She was Van in the show Atlanta, which is something Matt and Alyssa and others have talked about as the art that continued to propel them forward in 2016. And and for my money, it is the best piece of cinema I saw this year, whether it was in film or television. It didn't matter. It's an incredible, incredible show on FX. So if you have not seen that, definitely seek it out. Uh, in this call that I had with her, we talked about 1984, down and out in Paris and London, and then just tried our best to do some sort of year overview slash general sentiments about how the 12 months have gone. It is depressing. It is hopeful. It is sad. It is happy. Um, it is everything you hope in a conversation, I think. So I thank Zassi for taking the time, and I hope you enjoy this. I'm with David's family in Minnesota right now, and we're out in a hike in the middle of the woods and the snow, and we lost one of the brothers, and it's because his brother you lo- just... You lost huge... one of them? No, well, he, you know, we like went ahead and we're like, where's Gabe? And it's, it, he, he just went through a big breakup, and the girlfriend called today, so, uh, so I was just relaying the message. Anyway, hi. Hi. Wow. <laughs> Immediately, as per usual, let's get into the thick of it. Uh, there's no time to waste to talk about the emotional turmoil of the breakup. <laughs> but it's been really great. And this is my third time being here with his family. And I'm feeling honestly like the most comfortable I've ever felt, mm. um, which is really nice. So, you know getting like folded in more and more so i like that <laughs> and you guys are like you said and, you're, you said you're going to church yeah we're gonna go later tonight and then we're gonna go i think twice tomorrow oh my god and then Three we times? head to minneapolis yeah yeah and then we head to minneapolis to do some more celebrations and then david and i head out because we're then gonna fly to germany um hmm for the new year. So, um, it's going to be a bunch of traveling and then we go to LA. So that's right. yeah, that's when we go through the golden globes. We'll be there. Mm. So it's going to, it's, it's going to be a bunch, but it's really nice. Yeah. Oh, it's nice to like get out, but you are, you're in Fresno. I'm in Fresno right now. Yeah. <laughs> is your whole family there? Uh, my mom is, yeah. And brothers yeah. and friends. And I'm here uh-huh. for I'm here for the week, and then I go, and then I'm going to Vegas for one night. <laughs> oh, why? I've never been uh, like of age. Uh, Are you going by yourself? No, no, no. I'm going with a friend who's turning twenty-one. Okay, okay. <laughs> well, that will be fun. You sound not psyched about that idea for me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that'll be fun. Um, I. Uh, I always think of my cousin. She always wants to go to Vegas for her birthday mm. every year, and then it never happens. So, um, I've never been. I'm not like a gambler, though. So that's that's good. By the uh, way, that's a, that's a good thing. 
<laughs> it's for sure a good thing. Are you going to go to gamble or are you going to go like for the shows and there's, stuff? There's no way I'm not going to gamble. I, I, I am kind of a yeah. gambler, but I've been on hiatus this whole year. Yeah. Um, oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Make sure to... you just like set aside the money. You so, know? Yeah, you have to be okay with losing X amount and then hope you win. But be okay with, you know, be comfortable yeah. with it's stupid. It's so dumb. But you know what? Oh, what do you like to gamble with? Or like, what's, what's the <laughs> thing that you like? Um, I like blackjack and I like a game called Texas Hold'em. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm. That's poker, right? <laughs> it's, it's just poker. Yeah. There's no point in going into specifics yeah. if you don't play. Uh, but yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a beautiful thing in a way. Yeah. Uh, I, um, I took my dad to a casino this year. We were doing the we were doing a road trip and I took him to his first casino and we played some blackjack and we won. We won like fifteen bucks. Yeah. Every time every time it's the first time, it's kinda like a drug. Always it's always free the first yeah. time. It's terrible because then yeah. you win and then you think, Oh, this is what it's gonna be. And then uh Yeah. It's not because well, you're going like purely on instinct and not on skill or strategy at all. So he probably yeah, end up doing the riskier thing, maybe. Uh, so that means realizing. That, so I that means know. instinct is better than developed skill. <laughs> <laughs> well, we made it this far <laughs> on something. <laughs> I don't know, man. I've been up impressing family. Oh, trying to, <laughs> but that's um. So you don't even really have like a. Is it cold in Fresno? Yeah, it's like forty-seven. Oh, okay. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's not bad. So, do you want to uh, do you want to talk about one thing or many things or whatever you want? We didn't talk about what you wanted to talk about. Was there something specific? Um, well, we can go over a few things. It's fine. Okay. Okay. I'll tell you, I'll tell you the first thing that pops into my head, which is what popped into my head the last time we talked, which was reading 1984. And I guess there's always, you're smiling, you're laughing and smiling while saying this. It's such a good book. I mean, there's something I think really nice about picking up a classic. And recognizing why it's a classic um, in terms of just, like, the quality of story and the quality of writing and, like, communicating. Um, And I just, I think I just, I, I felt sort of moved by the, in ways, the, like, the support of the masses, or not of the masses, but of like the lowest man. And I started reading this other book of his called Down and Out in Paris and London, which is a mm. um, semi-autobiographical and, um, or it kind of is autobiographical, it is, um, about his time when he was down and out <laughs> in Paris and London and essentially, you know, like living on like a dollar a day and stuff like that. And, um, you know, when you reach the bottom and you realize it's not as bad as you thought it could be. Mm. Um, and I, I just, I think I, I liked 
this like depiction of I don't it feels it feels like this voice for for people who don't usually have their voices heard. And I don't know how to say that in a way that's like not cliche. Um, but kind of the you know, the the strength that we also have, mm. um, you know, that these are the true problems and yet we continue to thrive and continue and just sort of continue. And um, the sort of intelligence behind it and the recognition that, you know, somebody understands that, you know, this was a reality a hundred years ago and in ways like, you know, it's a moving, 1984 is a moving story because we're seeing it replicated again right now in a way. And um, to sort of the, the reconnaissance is something that is so um, timeless and harrowing, but that, you know, we're not all just like blindly following like somebody and in this case, George Orwell, I suppose, is like trying to make us see. And I don't know. I I just really liked that. I liked it. So hmm. I don't know if that really makes any sense. That made a lot of sense. I loved that book. That yeah. Made, it, it did. I'm trying to capture the feeling that I had. And it, it makes me feel like I'm just sort of rambling. Mm-hmm. But especially reading uh, Down and Out in Paris and London, I think from a standpoint of like struggling emotionally on a day-to-day basis, it, um, it just makes you, I don't know if it's a thing of putting into perspective. Um, you know, there are other things that could be amiss within life and I'm fortunate enough to not have to encounter those. Mm. And for many people, those are things that are day-to-day reality, like, literally not eating and stuff like that. And, you know, I think that's like the classic sort of recognition of I I still have privilege in many ways and that I should be thankful for what I have. So I don't know. But that's, I guess, that's one thing. It it also seems like within within those, it seems like you're talking about like how both are showing – life then but also how it's repeating itself now which is like the which which is the most uh terrifying or strange thing about reading something like that is you think my god sometimes i think it's 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 i mean this is cliche to say but i always worry like have we just not changed at all like have we pretty much stood still uh it's very concerning yeah i mean i guess our our like our mental abilities, I guess, only go so far, you know? Hmm. Um, and like, have we, I suppose, reached our, uh, reached our limit for empathy or, you know, or are we not going to get beyond? I also feel like, I don't know if we talked about this the last time, but I wonder if things sort of repeat as the generation that had experienced it before dies off because, people aren't really there to sort of remind us um, mm. as actively of like what, to, I don't know, quote unquote, look out for. Yeah. So I don't know people keep comparing Hitler 
to the Holocaust. I mean, I'm sorry. People keep comparing Trump to Hitler. Mm. And, you know, is this going to be the Holocaust again? And it's sort of, it's maybe not funny, but it's just like happening again as the victims of this and the people who experience this are are running out <laughs> and you know and so that's sort of like um i don't know makes me makes me think that but i also think that our generation is actually very is trying to be very open and is trying to be loving and you know a lot of our political um a lot of our political maneuvering right now globally is is being conducted by older people. So mm. I don't know. Everyone in my circle is very loving. The, that same applies in my circle too. But then it seems the far the farther we get out of the circle, I don't know. Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't. It's funny. I don't. I don't think either of us want things to be homogenous. Like I don't need everyone to be the no. same. But if we could no. just sort of all agree on like some sort of shared empathy and understanding or just sort of a i don't know maybe a common ethic i don't even it's just so bizarre it's 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 a strange yeah it's a strange time it seems pretty self-evident you know what is important and what isn't important to me um you know in terms of accepting one another and like no slave labor and don't rape people and you know mm-hmm. that all makes sense to me and of course there will be isolated instance, instances of things like this because whatever mental illness and all kinds of things exist but but it also I also understand like complexity and I understand you know like David's mother is pro-life which I also I can understand where she's coming from in terms of she literally thinks upon conception, it's a baby and that mm. you are killing a baby. And so like, what do you do? Like, that's like, if you, if you truly believe like abortion is, is murder, how do you not fight for that baby? You know what I mean? Of and course. so I don't know. Um, I don't, I don't know what's right in that situation. I personally don't, don't think until it's like become a fetus that it has any type of, like, I feel like having an abortion, obviously it's not the same, but I feel like if you take that clump of cells out of your body, it's like, oh, I got a scratch or like I clipped my nail. It's not the same thing that it, it you know, mm-hmm. to me, that's sort of what I don't, I don't, I don't recognize it as a baby. Um, and so, you know, I understand that complexity and also understand the complexity of like going in as a leader of millions and millions of people and it's not going to be it's just not easy. You know, it's, you're trying to align everyone's belief and that's just never going to happen. So it's always going to be compromised, but you know, in certain things there shouldn't be, I don't know. Yeah. It feels, it's it's tough. It's, it's so tricky. It's so tricky. I don't know if that's truly like uplifting. I think I just felt sort of, I think, honestly, maybe my my biggest takeaway from, like, 1984 was just this beautiful literature, (laughs) Mm. you know, and what a, you know, a blessing to read a good book, in a way. Yeah. Okay. Last thing I want to ask you before we go, 
How do you feel about next year? Are you someone? Are you someone at like? Uh, new, do you do you make resolutions in the new year? Or what What is your? Approach? I kind of, um, not seriously, um, but that's because I kind of view for me every day is sort of a new beginning, mm-hmm. and I focus more on that than on the beginning of a year. Um, and so I kind of try to renew myself every day and to begin every day with a new foot. And I sort of think of sleep as like, um, I'm shutting down and waking up like to another opportunity again. Um, but I suppose like, I have come up with things and the biggest thing that um, I think encompasses a lot is having faith. And I think that means both in people and in trusting. And I find I am unhappy when I don't just sort of trust, which I have to say a lot of feeling sort of perpetually sad or upset has broken down my ability to trust sort of anything hmm. and makes me more sad and upset. And, um, you know, it has sort of, I think, provided this like state of disillusionment from, you know, is there, is there like hope or is there spirituality or is there any of that? And I don't, I don't really speak of faith in like a God sense, but in like, um, in like a forward with positivity and hope sense in a way. Mm. Um, and I think to, yeah, embody that. Cause I find um, the people I know who are old and have had life happen to them and have had awful things happen um the survivors are the ones who remained positive <laughs> mm-hmm. um and you know i talked to my grandmother about that and she's in the hospital literally every other week without hyperbolizing like every two weeks i basically get a call from my mother that she's in the hospital and she's just her spirit is just always just so alive and I feel like it saved her life. Mm. And I see how my spirit now, and I'm so young, I see how it's taking away from my life when I become wrapped up in negativity. And that's not who I recognize and who I identify with as being myself. I feel sort of like I've been robbed. And so I want to sort of re-embrace that and to think of continuation and yeah yeah I also kind of always have like anytime I make a wish or something I always sort of wish for freedom and I think of like freedom of the heart freedom of fear and having a family but maybe maybe not next year something I always want I feel like you're doing a good job on all those fronts no (laughs) I guess talking about it, right? Talking about it is good. I can give you more positive things, maybe. 
I think that was lovely. I I thought that was great. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I thought. You know what I was. Thinking? I didn't know if I really had a point. You had, yeah. No, you had a point, but that's a thing. Uh, that happened. I think a few of my friends have that. Where um, actually, actually Mackenzie, who came on the podcast, also does this thing uh-huh. where they where they go on long tangents like you just did, and at the end. You both say like I don't know if that had a point, and I saw the point so clearly. I thought that was I thought that uh. was ni- I thought that was nice. And also, just thinking about like concrete, you know, I think you have been moving forward. I think we both have, and I. Yeah, I think so too. You know, I think that's e- even in the wake of all that's happened. Um, from mm-hmm. e- even from the last phone when we talked like a few a couple of weeks ago. You know, I yeah. think I think we're doing the best we can. And um Can I read you um a quote from Down and Out in Paris in London? Of course. Do that cuz that's exactly what you did on the podcast. Do you remember when you read Yeah, the- <laughs> and I the yeah, that that last quote. I remember. Was it a was it an Elizabeth? No, no, no. That was from I remember which one it was. Yeah. But this one I think might apply to like <laughs> how we could maybe view this year. And in a way of like, yeah. it could only go up. Okay. By the way, this Hold is on. this is how I want from now on every episode of the podcast to end is is you reading a quote from something you love. <laughs> <laughs> it's maybe not as um, profound, <laughs> but I liked it. Okay, it is a feeling of relief, almost of pleasure knowing yourself at last genuinely down and out. You have talked so often of going to the dogs, and well, here are the dogs, and you have reached them, and you can stand it. It takes off a lot of anxiety. That's it. <laughs> that was nice. Yeah. I, I get that. And I can sort of relate to that. And so maybe next year is like yeah, yeah the next yeah I feel like maybe we can all just put a just maybe close the book on these last twelve months I think I think we've had enough I think that's it we're done yeah yeah we, we can move forward now yeah I think so too it's not I will, oh. Oh, that, but then it's like you know it's not like gonna magically get better but uh, mm-hmm. I think we all know what 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 we have to do or at least we all know we have to do something maybe we don't know what that is yeah. But I do think we all know we have to do something. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Even if it starts from within, plant the seed within yourself. Plant the seed within yourself. Look, that's inspiring. That's nice. Okay. Do you want to? Uh, do you want to go back to the family now? Yeah, I probably should. I'm wandering <laughs> outside the house. <laughs> But uh, it was really nice talking, as usual. Yeah, it was good. Um, do you know that I I've been pronouncing your name wrong for for the whole time? This is terrible, and maybe it's like I should respect myself more. I just don't hear it really anymore, just because uh, the amount of times <laughs> correct people, I just I just respond. So yeah, the C. Zassi. Zassi. That's how. That's how you say it. Yeah. I, I'm try. I, I'd want to get that pronunciation right. 
Zafi. So the second Z sounds like an S, and there's an inflection on the C. Zafi. Zafi. Like that? Yeah, Zafi. Well, um, I was... And you're Sam, right? <laughs> no, no, actually, I've been meaning to tell you, it's not quite pronounced that way. <laughs> the the uh, <laughs> the first S the sounds S like uh, <laughs> <laughs> Samuel Samuel Fergoso. That's right. Yeah. Um, That's right. Do you have a middle name? Sebastian. Samuel Sebastian. Yeah. What's your middle name? Olivia. Olivia. Yeah. It seems oddly surprising to me. I don't know why. Uh, well, my mom kind of wanted me to have a more normal sounding middle name in case my first name didn't really work out well uh, for me. Okay. Well. Yeah. It worked out. It worked. Yeah, it did work, surprisingly. <laughs> um, yeah, honestly, though, it's actually really, it is kind of a strange name and I've never, never had issues, which is great. <laughs> Besides the pronunciation. That's a good name. Um, I, uh. Oh. I, I, this is good. This was good. I will. Yeah. Uh, I'll talk to you later. I gotta send you that gift. All right. I'm gonna go. Maybe okay. Bye. I'll see you soon. But it was great hearing your voice. Of course. Bye, Sam. So long. Bye, bye. This is generally the segment of the show when I say those who've enjoyed it should review it on iTunes so as to help us reach new listeners. Um, this is true. It's indisputably true. But I don't, I'm not going to make the pitch today. Um, instead, I'm just going to say thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being here, especially those who have been here since our launch in April or those who just started listening. It means the world that we have a growing audience and people who have responded so positively to the to the show and and what we're trying to do it's something not talked about enough publicly but i think when you start an endeavor that's independent of a larger entity or something funding it or someone funding it um as we did and and still are independent it's scary it's scary because on a week to week basis you are wondering to yourself and everyone else who's working on this show is what we're doing important is it significant does it matter why are we continue doing something that we are not getting paid to do it's a question I've asked myself every week and the answers vary from week to week depending on how enthusiastic I am and the enthusiasm wanes and oscillates back and forth as it always does. But the support we have received from people who have listened and responded, it really does help us continue onward. And um, I know that's generic or cliche or uh, is a given, but I want those listening to know that you, you, and you listening right now, hopefully there's more than four, but you understand what I'm saying. You make it work. You make us work. You make this show continue. And um, there have been a lot of people who've helped us out. Um, some people I want to mention real quick. Dom at Paste and Rebecca at the AV Club who both wrote 
continuously uh, throughout this year nice things about the podcast. Our friend Nathan Heller at The New Yorker, my pal Steve Green at IndieWire, Max Linsky at Longform, Josh Spiegel, Tina Hassania, and Kenji Fujishima at Movie Mezzanine, who really, without their hard work at Movie Mezzanine, I would have not been able to spend as much time as I did on this podcast. So I, I owe them. Uh, my friends Harrison, Quinn, Kyle, Jamie, Phil, Cassidy, Garrett, Corey, Nikki V, Claire, and Zach, and Kalyan, and Meta Marie, and so many more people I am not including, and you know who you are. Thank you for being patient with me as your friend when I responded 37 minutes late to your text or called you back the next day because I spent too much time on this podcast. Uh, Mom and dad, my brothers and sister, they have to put up with my shit on a daily basis or on on a semi-daily basis, and they do. And um, I don't know why they do, but I'm, I'm thankful for it. And, you know, of course, lastly... None of this happens without the music by Vanilla, our friend from the UK, our executive producer David Chen, graphics by Ian Jones, our illustrations by Krishna Shenoy, our social media by Maria Mayella. Our new associate producer is going to be helping us out more in the new year, Nora Knight. Lastly, Coriatad, who has produced and edited every single episode of this podcast since we started. The show would not exist without him. And uh, I'm Sam Fragoso. Thank you so much for listening to Talk Easy over these last nine months. Happy holidays to you, and uh, I'll see you next year. The Medal of Honor podcast is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. It's a special thing to be a member of Navy Federal because they're a member-owned, not-for-profit credit union that invests in their members with amazing rates and low fees. That's why members earn and save more every year. If you are active duty, a veteran, or have a family member who is a veteran or service member, you're eligible for membership. Become a Navy Federal member today. Navy Federal Credit Union. Members are the mission. Insured by NCUA. Equal housing lender. The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored amongst some of the most influential leaders in industry and me, I'll be there too. Enter now at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. Thinking of popping the question? Diamonds Direct has an offer you can't miss. This month only, buy a natural diamond engagement ring of one carat plus and receive a free natural one carat diamond tennis bracelet valued at $2,000. Imagine giving her the ring of her dreams and her wedding gift all at once. No one provides education, selection, and value like Diamonds Direct. Your chance to get a free tennis bracelet from your friends at Diamonds Direct won't last long. Details at DiamondsDirect.com.